The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Zen Nicotine Pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Joseph Scott Morgan. The song Homesick is a song from my youth. It resonates in my ears. came out in the 70s. And if you've never heard it, it, it kind of takes you back on a bit of a, a time travel, if you will. I love ARS. Other people have recorded I think Travis Tritt recorded it, re-recorded it, but it, it takes you back in, in time to that moment. You begin to think, as kids, as kids of the 60s, where were you? Well, I was just a little thing back then. I was playing in the backyard of my grandparents' house where I lived most of the time. It was a very, people, it's a well-worn phrase, people say it's a very innocent time, and it was for me. Playing in my sand pile, enjoying life in the Deep South. The furthest thing from my mind back then was probably mass homicide. In the news nationally, it sent a chill down everyone's spine of the horrors that were revealed back in 1969 of what was going on in L.A. County, particularly as it applied to the Manson family. Today on Body Bags, we're going to turn back the page a little bit. And we're going to re-examine the murders of the LaBiancas. August 11th, 1969, Rosemary LaBianca's teenage son discovers the brutal murders carried out by three of Charles Manson's followers the night before. Lino LaBianca had been stabbed 12 times with a knife or bayonet and seven times with a two-tined carving fork, leaving 14 puncture wounds in his abdomen. The fork was still stuck in his abdomen, and a kitchen knife pierced his throat. The word war had also been carved into his abdomen. 
Rosemary LaBianca had a total of 41 stab wounds on the front and back of her body. An autopsy showed that many of the wounds were post-mortem. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. Hey, Dave Mack, where were you in 69? I was a very, very young child. This murder, the Tate LaBianca murders, as they are commonly referred to, I, it actually impacted my life on a personal level and professionally over the years because I lived in that area when this happened. Uh, I was born and raised in Southern California, born in Hawthorne and raised in Orange County predominantly. And, but anyway, when this happened, here's the thing that people may, may or may not know. And Joe, you might not know. It happened August 8th, August 9th, 1969. Think about some other things that were, was actually happening in the world. A couple of weeks earlier, Neil Armstrong, man on the moon. You bet, buddy. I remember it. I remember watching on black and white television, my grandparents' house. It was a magical thing. So it, that's a huge deal. It made everybody, I mean, we, it just made everybody feel like anything's possible. And uh, a week after the murders, what else happened? Woodstock in New York. Right. So imagine, and by the way, and mixed into this same time period, Chappaquiddick and Teddy Kennedy. So we had a lot going on in the United States of America. At the time that uh, Rosemary and Lino LaBianca were murdered, it impacted my life because being in Southern California when Sharon Tate, along with her friends, and off the top of my head, I remember it was Abigail Folger, Wojtek Frykowski, Jay Sebring, and then they had the like a guy that was like the yard keeper. Anyway, that was such a big deal because, first of all, Sharon Tate was a beautiful model. She was an actress married to Roman Polanski, the master of the macabre because of Rosemary's Baby. You start thinking about how all these things kind of come together and it's like crazy time. But the next night, the LaBiancas. And that was fear in the hearts of people. Sharon Tate and celebrity rich people getting murdered is one thing. But the LaBiancas were looked at as just regular people like the rest of us. And now nobody's safe. There's one little interesting factoid, I think, that some people might not be aware of. And I got to give you an idea, a measure for how innocent times were. When the LaBianca's bodies were actually discovered, they could not get access to the home. That is the family that they were trying to open the door to get in. Guess where they, they got the key from to unlock the door to get into the house? Under the mat? No. They went, and dig this just for a second. They went out to the vehicle parked in the driveway, and the keys were in the ignition. And they take the key out of the ignition and make access to this house with that key. And can you just imagine when... Rosemary LaBianca's children went into this environment and they see these words scrawled in blood on the walls, on the doors. I think most famously the words helter skelter. By the way, I think it was misspelled. And there's several interesting things about this is because some people think that it was intentionally misspelled. There were 
little clues along the way. I don't know if any of these people were that sophisticated. You walk in and you see this horror show, and it was truly a horror show. Lots and lots of blood evidence at the scene. And I, I don't know that you could necessarily take the measure of it. You have the police coming off the so-called Tate homicides on Cielo, and then you walk into this environment, and you know there was resistance at first by the police to at least publicly show any kind of connectivity between what had happened previously with Sharon Tate and that group of people and then what had happened with the LaBiancas. And it all goes to what was trying to be accomplished here. I think with the police, one of the biggest things for them is they were trying to prevent a panic. Because you can't, can you imagine what those conversations were like, you know, in the detective bureau when you've got arguably two bloodbaths that have taken place and you've got the shadow of celebrity that's kind of hanging over both of these events with Sharon Tate and everyone up on Cielo. And then you've got the La Biancas. Okay, so they're starting up here in relative to the celebrities. Now they're going out here where the rest of us mix and mingle, the mere mortals among us. And the one thing to think of, again, 1969 uh, was a different time in the way we lived. The Tate LaBianca murders, Joe, we could actually spend all of today, tomorrow, the next day talking just about these murders. And we would go for 24 hours a day for the next few days and wouldn't finish. There's too much. So focusing on the LaBiancas, they were a married couple. They actually were the next day, uh, meaning the day after the Tate murders had taken place. And. The reason it's in the news this week is because Leslie Van Houten actually was released from prison after 50 some odd years now. Here's the kick, Joe, and you've been around crime scenes and, and murders for a long time. I really want to hear your explanation of what police were looking at when they got to the scene of the crime. But the bottom line is, with Leslie Van Houten being a Manson family member, one of the women, was she actually only was involved in the LaBianca murders. She was not at the previous night's activities. At the LaBianca crime scene, you had Tex Watson. He and Charlie, and by the way, Charlie Manson was not at the Tate murders. He was, however, at the LaBianca house. At the house, but he beat feet before the actual event occurred. Right. They get there. Well, I'm going to skip through this real fast. Charlie Manson had convinced these young people that a race war was coming and they needed to have a safe place out in the desert, which is why they were maneuvered out there. In reality, they were out there because they'd been stealing Volkswagens and converting them into dune buggies and selling them. And the heat was getting hot. And so they wanted to get out of uh, town. And Charlie went there and they're in their drug, whatever, decided that they needed to commit crimes, the Manson family, that would, they needed to commit murders that didn't make sense. That's what the La Bianca murder was all about. A murder that didn't make any sense and would cause fear and panic in people. And Leslie Van Houten said that in her own words, by the way. I actually listened to this yesterday in preparation for the show and heard her in 1971 talking to her new lawyer. She, he said, well, how are you going to start a revolution? She actually said, Joe... By committing a senseless murder, which is exactly what Lino and Rosemary LaBianca, it was just a murder. But anyway, I mentioned Charles Manson was not at the Tate House. Well, he was at the LaBiancas. 
Charles Manson and Tex Watson go inside the LaBianca's house. And by the way, these mental giants, the Manson family, they've been driving around for a couple hours looking for a place that they could go in and commit this heinous act, right? They didn't find one right away. And so Leslie Van Houten said she fell asleep in the car as they were driving around. When she woke up, Charles and Tex Watson had gone in the house and they'd already tied up uh, Lino and Rosemary LaBianca. They found Lino on the couch in the living room in the den. And so they tied him up and then Charlie Manson went in uh, and they got Rosemary out of bed. She was already in bed, got her up. And, you know, sign of the times, maybe, Joe. But before they brought Rosemary LaBianca out of the bedroom, uh, she was already in her nightclothes. And you know what she did? And they let her they let her put on a dress. Rosemary LaBianca was allowed to put on a dress over her nightclothes. To be dressed appropriately for what she thought was just a robbery. Charles Manson and Tex Watson said, you're not going to be hurt. We just want your money. So they got the cash. And then Charlie goes outside. They send the girls in. They sent Leslie Van Houten and Patricia Krenwinkle to go in and kill Rosemary LaBianca. One interesting little aside here is that you think about Manson and kind of how he had been prepping this crew. That's the way you have to look at it. It's an organized crime venture is what it comes down to because they were a collection of thieves is essentially what they were. And, of course, they're fueled by lysergic acid to a great degree. You know, there's uh, it's been well documented, stated that they were drop LSD. There's some people that have actually opined that that uh, Manson himself would fake taking LSD and then everybody else would have it on board and he could influence them and begin to talk to them when they're tripping, essentially. But one of the things that he would do to give you back to this idea of thievery, this being a theft ring, is that he introduced them to something called creepy crawling. He would actually have these people go out and purposefully go into residences in a stealth-like manner And the trick was not to be caught. And they would go in and perhaps rearrange things and not necessarily take anything, but just to kind of hone these skills so that they could go in and commit thievery, stealing, if you will, burglary, and not be caught. I think here's the big question, though. If that's the case, what is it that would motivate a band of thieves that lived out in the desert, away from society. What is it that caused them to commit such a horrible, horrible crime? I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible, Easy breathe. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. 
For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed or do-it-yourself kits available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com. Get 20% off today. Thank you, Easy Breathe, for being our partner. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. There's a couple of classic images, black and white photography, of the exterior of the scene up on Cielo where the Tate home was and where that multiple homicide took place. And one that really jumps to mind is there's an image of one of my heroes at the scene, and that's Dr. Tom Noguchi, who was with the medical examiner coroner back during that time in Los Angeles, probably arguably one of the greatest forensic pathologists that's ever worked in my my way of estimation. But he was at the scene, and what he bore witness to there He's talked about or had talked about previously on many occasions at the Tate residence. Horrible things had happened, obviously, over the years. And we see this carnage that erupts from time to time. But I don't know that anybody could really fully appreciate what they were seeing then and try to make sense of it, the level of brutality. And so one interesting little point bringing it back to the LaBianca double homicide, is that apparently, at first, the investigators really were thinking that they might be dealing with a copycat crime, that the word had leaked out at that point in time about how horrific the Tate homicides were. And then you see this horror show that takes place at the LaBianca household. They're thinking, okay, somebody read about this and they just wanted to see if they could duplicate it. What do you think about that, Dave? I lived there in this area at that time as a young child. And one of the things that I think people forget, it's about copycat crimes. There was so much made about Sharon Tate because she was eight and a half months pregnant when she was murdered. And this was a horrible crime scene. And it was splashed everywhere. And then you have this normal middle class Rosemary and Lena LaBianca being murdered. And there was some thought that copycat crimes were going to occur. My family, personally, we were moving into a new, uh, a, a different home, a bigger home. In the process of the move, Joe Scott Morgan, I remember going to that house. When our, our move-in was delayed for some reason. I was a kid. I, don't, you know, I didn't know why at the time. But I know that when we got there the week after Halloween... You can still see the chalk outline in the next door neighbor's driveway where a dead body had been. We didn't know if it was actually a Halloween prank or if there was a copycat murder, because that's what we were all talking about at the time. One thing people need to know is that while the murders took place, August uh, 8, 9, 10, the Tate LaBianca murders, that they were not caught right away. It was actually a couple of months. 
And there was a lot of tabloid journalism at work and a lot of very poorly researched information. So there was a lot of lies, a lot of myths were being created at the time. But when you get right down to it, there were only three people inside the house for the LaBiancas that actually committed the murders. And that's Tex Watson, Patricia Krenwinkel, and Leslie Van Houten. Charles Manson, he did go in the house and he and Tex tied up Lino and Rosemary LaBianca. But Charles left because he's that kind of guy. And he told them the night before at the Tate resident that it had been very messy. And he said, don't, you know, let's make it more clean. And when he, and of course, he takes off with other members of the family there. And he leaves the job of murder up to Patricia Crane with Leslie Van Houten, who were supposed to take out Rosemary, and Tex, who was supposed to take out Lino. When it actually happened, Leslie Van Houten had never killed anybody before. And she wrote and talked about some things that I, I'm kind of, I'm hoping you'll explain this to us. She actually pointed out some things that were just horrific to me. But setting the stage inside the house, Lino and Rosemary LaBianca have both been tied up. Their hands are tied. In the case of Rosemary LaBianca, a pillowcase had been placed over her head and it had been tied off with a lamp cord. But they didn't bother to like rip the cord off the lamp. The lamp was still attached. So Rosemary LaBianca, hands tied up, the pillowcase over her head, and she's sitting there. Lino, meanwhile, LaBianca had his hands tied and he also is sitting and waiting for the robbery to finish because that's what they were told since charles manson and those guys are down the road that's when the murder begins tex watson took charge of killing lena labianca patricia krenwinkel and leslie van houten it was their job to kill rosemary in her bedroom to rosemary labianca already we had tex watson stabbing away on leno just i mean horrifically but leslie van houten said later that it wasn't new for Tex. He had done this before. He had killed before. For Leslie Van Houten to kill Rosemary LaBianca, it was horrific to the point that she didn't know what it was like cutting through human flesh. She thought it would be different, Joseph Scott Morgan. And I wonder how many of us, because I've never thought about it until I read that, how many of us really thought about what it would be like? What force does it take to actually kill somebody with a knife. That's a personal thing. If you're shooting somebody, you can do it from a distance. With a knife, you're up close and personal. It is very personal. And so while Leslie Van Houten and Patricia Kramwinkle are trying to kill Rosemary, LaBianca in her bedroom, Rosemary fights back. And the lamp cord used to keep that pillowcase on her head, well, the lamp now becomes a weapon. She can't see, but she was fighting for her life and winning. She was beating Leslie Van Houten and Patricia Krimwinkle to the point where they yelled for Tex Watson. He's in the middle of stabbing Lino. And they're like, Tex, you got to get in here. Now, he had already stabbed Lino LaBianca a lot. Lino had no fight left in him. So Tex left him to go back and help them kill Rosemary LaBianca. With the participation of Van Houten, I think that it's important to remember that she was out of the so-called Manson family. She was one of the youngest members, 19 at the time, I believe. High school cheerleader and prince at homecoming princess. 
Yeah, from this area of the country as well. She's one of these kind of uh, people that was uh, kind of glommed on to Manson. However, later reports say that she was kind of a leader among these folks, but she wasn't present when the Tate murders took place. She was specifically brought in to handle the LaBiancas, these random people that they had identified. And what's quite interesting when you begin to kind of explore what happened at this residence that particular night with LaBianca, Mr. LaBianca, all of his injuries are essentially anterior, which means on the front of his body. And there are multiple stab wounds to his neck and to his abdomen. And he died as a result of massive hemorrhage, which means that every time this knife is plunged into his body, that you're creating another channel for blood to kind of seep out, and he's going to be bleeding out internally. When you begin to look through the autopsy reports on him, his right carotid artery, which is the major artery in the neck that essentially supplies the brain with blood, is the right one on the right aspect if people will essentially place your index finger just to the right of your trachea. It's rest right in this area. So that knife was buried through that surface into his neck. It's completely what they refer to as transected. In addition to that, he's got a laceration of his trachea. So if you take that orientation that we just mentioned about the carotid artery and slightly move over to the midline, which people refer to as the windpipe with the trachea, it's lacerated as well, which means that, Dave, this is not just merely a slice. When they say laceration, you've got this kind of blunting action that's taking the edges and the margins of this thing would not have been very neat. And moving from the top of the body, just to give you an an idea of how extensive this was, they had taken the knife and buried it into not just his small bowel, but also his large bowel into his colon. So you've got insults that are running the full length of his upper body. And when the body is received at the morgue, I can only imagine at that moment in time, they're trying to make sense of one of the things that that you're always asked about with these types of events are sequencing. In what order did these things actually occur? And you begin to think about, well, It's not necessarily possible to be able to tell anyone what sequence they actually took place in. There's been a lot of, uh, as I used to say, ink slung over the injuries that LaBianca sustained. Probably one of the more striking things, even at the scene, the coroner investigator made note of the fact that there was some kind of rudimentary engraving on the surface of this man's abdomen. And the word, as it turns out, was the word war. This means that the individual that had done this would have had to have had the will to sit there and make this happen, to actually sit there and be able to perhaps tolerate the sounds of this man as life is leaving his body, taking the tip of a knife, which they believe was utilized, and making it through the dermis of his skin so that the individuals could appreciate that later on when they walked onto the scene. 
this goes into areas like motivation. You know, why would somebody do this? And going back with our theme here, the the idea that back during this time, the police are trying to make sense of this. And then, interestingly enough, one of the things that that was also documented was this idea of the carving fork that was left behind. The individual little points on forks are referred to as tines. Well, the tines for carving fork, there's only two of them. I think that in some of the media that's out there, these movies that have been created over the years, I think there was one in particular that was very graphic where they showed the victim, the actor was stabbed with a fork and it was kind of bouncing about and that sort of thing. This was actually a superficial wound. And the coroner investigator makes an interesting point here, and this goes to the larger grouping of evidence here in this case, where he talks about if they had not removed that fork, that carving fork, from Mr. LaBianca's abdomen, it could very well have fallen out, and they would have lost the evidence at that moment in time. For us in forensics, uh, you know, kind of our rule of thumb, and this actually applies in medicine, too. If you ever you see these things where people say, well, if there's an object impaled in somebody's body, don't remove it because it's going to, if you remove it, you're going to promote blood flow. Okay. You're creating this kind of defect in the body. But for us in forensics, we want to be able to appreciate an item in situ is what it's referred to as in place, rather, in place so that it can be fully documented and appreciated by the forensic pathologist. Keep in mind, most of the time, you're not going to have a forensic pathologist at the scene to see the body in its pristine postmortem state. So, you try to leave any kind of elements that are in or on the body in place, and that way it'll be more thoroughly examined at the morgue. And in this particular case, they actually had to remove it because they very well could have lost that evidence. And, of course, we know that it's significant because it goes to the behavior of the individual. It wasn't just simply a knife wound. We're talking about multiple weapons that led to Mr. LaBianca's death. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible, Easy Breathe. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed or do-it-yourself kits available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com. Get 20% off today. Thank you, Easy Breathe, for being our partner. 
Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Many of the deaths that I've investigated over the course of my career, for good or for bad, I have an ability of kind of placing myself in the position of victims, or at least kind of trying to imagine what they had gone through. With single victims, it's it's hard, I I think, uh, or, or it's less nuanced. When you have family members that are killed simultaneously, there's something about, you know, from in my case, my own humanity that begins to think about the relationship that these individuals within a home like this had, the La Biancas I'm referring to. What was going through their minds at that moment in time? Because you have two people that were apparently happily married. They'd built a life together. Mrs. La Bianca managed a dress store. Mr. La Bianca was a grocery executive. They had built a home together, not simply a house, but a home. And they were still involved in their children's lives. And you think in those last moments before you leave this earth, what was going through their mind, the pure horror, the pure terror, because it's not just what's happening to you. You begin to kind of imagine what's happening to my loved one, what's happening to my beloved spouse that might be in the other room. You're hearing screams, you're hearing commotion, and maybe Not thinking about the pain that's being inflicted upon you, but about the pain that's being inflicted upon them. Lino and Rosemary LaBianca had been told when they were woken up, they were told this is just a robbery. We're just taking your money and you're not going to be hurt. They were tied up with that in mind. That's what Tex Watson told them. That's what Charles Manson told them. We are not going to be hurt. All the way up until the point where the killing began, they were told you're not going to be hurt. Rosemary LaBianca was in her bedroom with... Leslie Van Houten and Patricia Krenwinkel, she hears commotion going on while Tex Watson is stabbing Lino LaBianca. And she asks, what's going on with Lino? Lino, are you okay? And that's what caused her, Rosemary LaBianca, to actually really fight back hard to the point where Patricia Krenwinkel and Leslie Van Houten could not control her. They screamed out for Tex to get help because of Rosemary LaBianca. She just I don't, I, the heart of that woman, but I have a question for you, Joe, because I'm curious after the fact, could you tell in the examination, the difference between a wound being done by Leslie Van Houten and Patricia Krenwinkel versus a wound created by Tex Watson, who is obviously going to hit harder. Could you tell a difference between that type of a knife wound? That's going to be heavily dependent, Dave, first off, on the instrument that's used, how robust the instrument is that is being utilized in order to inflict the injuries. 
And what structures this instrument is going to strike? Because it's not, as we've talked about before on body bags, it's not just passing through the skin and through the muscle. You have to think about any kind of uh, bony prominences that are there, whether it's ribs or the spine. In Miss LaBianca's case in particular, because her spinal cord is essentially transected, what type of force would it take in order to inflict these? There's another important piece to this. There was a need on the part of the Manson family, as it applied to Van Houten, I believe, for her to get her hands dirty. So, the question arises, how many of these insults that that both of these victims, and Rosemary in particular, because hers were as bad as it is to talk about carving on LaBianca's body and this carving knife that was utilized on him in its measure. I think that Rosemary got the real horror show thrown at her. Her injuries were over the top. A lot of that has to go to, you were mentioning how much she fought. She had to be restrained. They had to guarantee that she was not going to get back up off of that floor. Most of her injuries are posterior on her back. You begin to think about that and the level of force that's used. And also, how many of these injury tracks where she sustained these uh, stab wounds, how many of these actually had hemorrhage in them? Because that's the big delineation here for us between this idea of postmortem and antemortem injuries. You know, you think about the antemortem injuries, these wounds that are inflicted on her, you think about, well, how many of these came while she was still alive and how many of these happened afterwards? And they're, they're randomized. It's not like they're necessarily in any particular order or have penetrated specific anatomical structures and stayed in that particular area. A lot of the stuff that has occurred to her is randomized. It's all over her body. So, that gives you an idea of what kind of fight had ensued initially. And when you begin to look at it, you begin to think about the horror that was inflicted upon her. What we do know is that they have enumerated these injuries. And she had sustained, I think, if I'm not mistaken, 22 insults on the upper portion of her back and 14 on the lower portion of her back. And one of these that gives you an idea as to how how much power was involved in this is that she's got transecting injury of her neck. Place your finger at the base of your skull. The first vertebral body that you have there is C1. That's referred to as the atlas. And you just think about atlas holding up the, the world from mythology. You go to the second vertebral body, which is immediately below the atlas. And then the third, there is a wound that passes between that junction right there. And the vertebral bodies are some of the most robust elements in our body as far as the skeletal structure goes. They transected that, Dave. That's how much power was involved in this, which means that that knife passed through in between those two vertebral bodies and completely transected her cerebral spinal cord. The one thing that I did see with Leslie Van Houten describing the killing, this is her exact words. I was supposed to mess her up. And I took the knife and I started stabbing. 
and I turned into an animal almost. I just completely let out on that woman's back. You just mentioned the wounds on her back. Leslie Van Houten talking about, I completely let out on that woman's back. But then she says, it's not like cutting a piece of meat. It's much tougher. I had to use both hands and all my pressure and all my strength behind it to get it in. What actually is she describing there, Joe? She's in a dominant position. And remember, this is not something she's doing by herself, Dave. There are other people, other hands involved in this. And she is essentially in a dominant position. This is a perfect example of what we refer to as asymmetry in an attack. That means you've got one individual that's dominant over another. And what's really the tail of the tape is that since these injuries are posterior on Rosemary LaBianca's body, that means that she's face down more than likely throughout most of this attack. And you have access to that particular plane of the body. The knife is being driven downward. When uh, they'll say, look, if you're ever attacked by a bear, crawl up into a kind of contract yourself up into a ball. And one of the reasons is, is that I've often envisioned in my mind that our back is almost like a turtle shell. We have all of these bony prominences and structures posteriorly because, you know, our ribs are not just on the front of our body and sides. They extend into the back and they attach to our spine. And so you've got this kind of rigidity that comes in. Uh, Well, no wonder she is stating and has admitted to having to drive this knife through these bony structures with both hands. And essentially, To give you an idea as to how much force was involved, not only do we have this laceration of the spinal cord, but in addition to that, there was so much force used during the midst of this attack that Rosemary LaBianca also sustained injuries of her lung. It perforated her lung. Also, her stomach. And in addition to that, her spleen was lacerated. And for what? For absolutely what? You ask that question. I think we all do. It's just a random event that occurred where these two people who had nothing to do with race wars, had nothing to do with hippie culture, had nothing to do with anything other than just simply living their lives are gone. And now Leslie Van Houten is free. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. Zen nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible, Easy Breathe. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, playroom, or home gym? 
Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed or do-it-yourself kits available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com. Get 20% off today. Thank you, Easy Breathe, for being our partner. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.